Welcome to our first visual podcast or vlog, I guess is what you call it, right, Scott? You, you probably understand all that stuff, right? Is that what they call it? Is I don't it know. Vlog? I don't know. We're too old to even know these answers, Scott. The point, though, is that this is the education game and we now are visually uh, interviewing folks and this is our first one. We've got a great interview today with uh, Kath Frazee. It's French. it's French. It's French. I don't speak. Frez. I don't Frez. speak. <laughs> it's Frez. That's right. Well, she's a, she's an amazing individual and a uh, friend of yours from a long time ago, Scott. Um, yeah. That's who we're going to interview today. And, and we've actually already interviewed her and we're now in a different. This is like three days later and we have different clothes on. And so people are going to wonder we what's do. going on. We do. I, every three days I change my clothes. Like clockwork. We have different clothes on? Every three days. Yep. Yep. So, uh, but we want to, before we, like we've ho- always done with all of our podcasts, we want to do our plays of the week, right? Yeah. So here's where it. I try to stump Scott with, uh, with uh, you know, new items that are coming on, on, on the scene. And so there was a recent article, Scott, um, in the Atlantic, and there's a quote uh, the guy named uh, Will Richardson sent this to me through LinkedIn, and he's a really thoughtful guy around education. But the quote is in this article, there is no precedent for a life interrupting disaster of this scale in America's current educational and professional structures. Now, Will says that he is highly skeptical that uh, this crisis is going to lead to fundamental change in education. What do you think about that, Scott? Oh, I'm uh, I'm with Will. Yeah, uh, I think uh, well, and it's just not the public education sector. I think I think all sectors are desperately going to try to return to what they have identified as normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, pre March 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what people are comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and I don't think teachers, principals, parents. Or even most students uh, will uh, will disagree. Right. Um, the uh, the sad part of that, Matt, is I totally agree uh, with the quote, and that is uh, we're going to miss an opportunity. I, I, I'm afraid to really uh, re-engineer the way that learning happens. Yeah. It's interesting because he goes on in his in his uh, description of the article. He talks about how, at the very moment when all of us are are learning, we are finding out new ways to use technology. Nobody is telling us to do it. No one is requiring it to be done by a certain time. I mean, it, it, people are just adapting and learning, which is the exact same skill set that schools tend to stifle, right? Uh, I was going to say, except except kids, except kids uh, that uh, are going to school virtually. That's right. They're not having that same opportunity, or that's or very few of them are. That's right. Uh, I would be shocked, shocked. I say, I hear it. If you could find any teacher that opens up the day with this question, hmm. what do we want to learn today? Yeah, I don't think that's happening. Do you? No, Scott, and that's you know that's the question that I talk to every parent about, right? What what is your child curious about? What do they want to learn about? Start there. That doesn't seem to happen, even even when this disruption is at at, at its peak. So, um, but this goes back to what we talked about around you know uh, identify define public in public school. Sure. Right. So that question doesn't get asked because state legislatures. School boards yeah. have decided we we can't ask that question because we have so much that we want to teach, yeah, and that we want kids to learn. Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's do the next uh, um, play of the week, Scott, and this is a big one. Uh, you may have heard that there was an election last week. Uh, it apparently is not decided. I don't really know what that means, but regardless. Um, well, it's in our household. 
It's decided. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, 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 it might not be decided, you know, in, in terms in, of the country because yeah, yeah. Uh, the current president has not conceded. conceded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at yeah. eighteen, Bailey, it's careful, decided. Careful giving out your address, Scott. We we're, we're going to make some enemies in this in this work at some point. So, yeah, all right. So here's the question for you, though, Scott. Your um, mom and dad are are going to come find me at eight, at, at uh, eighteen, oh, yeah. Bailey. Right, because we have so many listeners. <laughs> I think it's three, and two of yeah. them are my, are my parents. Yes. So here's the thing, Scott. Are kids going to get? Are, are kids winners in this election? Um. I okay. So I like Joe Biden. I voted for Joe Biden, but. Like what we want to happen, uh, I don't think the Biden administration is is going to be behind that because um, they're not thinking that way, Matt. No, um, you know uh, uh, the first lady is going to be a, a teacher. Biden's really proud of that. Yeah, uh, the the teacher unions are going to cuddle up to that. Sure. Um, and I think that there is going to be a, uh, or at least the thought of a Biden administration. Let's get back to normal. Let's get back to traditions. Yeah. Um, I don't think Joe Biden is the type of guy that you could walk into his office and say, we want to re-engineer the entire public education field to create self-directed learners. Or, or even just, let's just even make it a little bit more modest, Scott. We want kids to focus on learning, period, right? That's that's a fairly modest ask. But, no, instead, it's going to be focused on grades, standardization, um, you know, the rules and, this, and the, the, the learning that someone else has defined for the kid to, uh, uh, to acquire. I mean, it, it's not going to shift at all. And so I think we are in agreement that even though that we like who won the election, kids are still in the same crappy spot that they've been in for the last 40 years and we can see nothing on the horizon that's going to shift that correct yeah yeah i i agree with that and let me say one more thing i i i don't think a biden administration is necessarily going to slow our movement uh you know compared to the trump administration mm -hmm. uh because uh trump um you know he might have paid lip service to uh, school choice and learner choice. Uh, but, you know, the inactivity at the federal government, everyone knows that every every decision made in public education last four years has been made at the state and the local level. That's right. That's right. And that's uh, the and way the Trumpians, that's the way Bet Betsy DeVos and the Trumpians liked it. Yeah. And that hasn't led to any sort of you know, systemic improvements. So, all right. Not well, all. well, given that, it's actually really interesting that we're in, we're interviewing Kath this week because I think she is she stands as a challenge, uh, uh, potentially interesting challenge to status quo. Could you give us a quick intro and then we'll get to the you know, interview with her? Yeah. So Kath, her, her uh, operation called Workspace and 100 Roads down in Connecticut epitomizes uh, the movement that uh, we are part of. Yeah. Parents, big time players yep. uh, in, in workspace education, children, big time players, right. co-learning between parents and kids happening all the time, community involvement, uh, oh, you know, uh, uh, socially embedded, social importance, yep. um, you know, learning over uh, compliance, performance yep. over compliance. Yep. Yep, it's yep. it's it's a great interview. It is. It's in, I think your mom and dad. I think your mom and dad are really going to like it. So all three of you listening, enjoy this uh, interview. We're going to go ahead and switch now to uh, the interview Scott and I did with Kath. Frez. It's French. Frez. Frez. Gotcha. I call her Kath from now on. Kath. All right. Thank you guys. Uh, uh, we'll be with Kath in just a moment. Take care. This is the Education Game.
Okay, we're back uh, with the uh, education game. He's Matt. I'm Dr. Scott, and uh, our uh, our guest uh, today is uh, wow. Um, the first time I met this lady, uh, she absolutely blew me away uh, with her vision, her passion, her intelligence. Uh, her name is Kath Fraze. Uh, she's from Connecticut, and. Uh, Matt, she has uh, invented something in Connecticut. I haven't seen it uh, myself uh, with my own eyes. Well, I saw uh, it online. Everything, yeah, everything I read and hear about it, uh, it is um, one of the most creative settings for learning uh, I think I've ever heard about. Yeah. Uh, it's called Workspace. And uh, uh, Kath is here today uh, to tell us more about that, but also more importantly, um, sort of the parent spin uh, on workspace and and maybe how what she's created down in Connecticut uh, could be uh, replicated by groups of parents uh, all across the country, if not the world. So welcome to the education game, Kath. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Matt, for having me. This is um, it's a pleasure to come and talk about what I'm very excited about and what I'm passionate about. So we're excited too. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's our uh, it's our our honor and pleasure to to have you on the podcast today. So let's let's get right into this. Yeah. So, um, what was the uh, the driving force um, in in your mind? That allowed you and others to create something like workspace. How how did that happen? Well, you know, it, it tends to start something like this. To take on such a big endeavor starts when you have children that actually really, really need it. And uh, you know, I had uh, a son who I tried putting in school, and it just wasn't going to be a good fit. So then, when we were homeschooling, uh, I did um, project-based homeschooling for approximately ten years at home. I found there were some real limitations in a home environment. I mean, I loved homeschooling. I loved that my children were having in individualized pathways. I loved making sure that they had a really great peer group and I could control that a bit to make sure that they, you know, they were happy and bubbling along in their learning journeys. Uh, but there were some things missing. Um, and also for me as a mother who was homeschooling, I was feeling a little isolated, a little lonely, a little unable to fully express myself. And it was hard to find enough children to do different projects for and to find the educators. And there was a whole ecology of services that I, I thought would really enhance my learning. Like, for example, I really wanted a science lab for my kids to do real science and to solve real world problems. And I just couldn't get into a science lab. I really wanted a maker space where my kids could be. Imagine doing that, Kath. You wow. just couldn't get into it. You couldn't get into project. a science lab. <laughs> so you created your own science lab. Right. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, you know, I was a public school teacher. So I had, I mean, I do know the public school environment. Uh, I decided I didn't want that for my children. Uh, I fell in love with Montessori philosophy. I did three Montessori certifications. Um, so I'm, I'm trained from a, yes, Matt. Kath, I want to interrupt you because I'm sorry. You, you said that you didn't want your child in the public school environment. Why? I did. Well, because I had been a teacher in it and I had also been in it for 12 years. Um, and I, I felt that, you know, I saw as a teacher a lot of children being bullied and I saw uh, that the learning that I was trying to impart because I was a social studies teacher was not what the kids wanted to learn at the time. Bingo. And it took so much any energy for them to actually learn something that they weren't interested in. Right. And I was forcing them to do it and they just wasn't, they didn't want it to stick. Right. Some people it worked for, right? But the majority, it didn't. And I mean, I can't imagine being a child in the bottom 50% for your whole education. You must, I mean, it teaches you that you're stupid. Like, I just right. would not want that for my child because, you just, know, I, I, I want to create two beautiful humans and I want to give them the very best I can. I just and, wanted you to hear, I wanted to hear you explain it because that was great. So I, sorry to interrupt your your description of your no, journey. So. And now I'm going to forget where I was. But. You were talking, you were going into Montessori and you started exploring right, yeah, Montessori. So I did two Montessori certifications and I was doing my adolescent training and I, one of the challenges was to envision the perfect learning environment for mm. your, for the children that you were serving in your community. And in Montessori and adolescent um, education, the perfect 
uh, spot for that is actually on a farm because it's there that they can be in nature, they can start their little enterprises, they can read great literature and, and act, you know, and have think about these ideas. And it's just a beautiful environment for early teens. But, you know, when I talk about that with Fairfield County parents up here in um, the East Coast, you know, to say, to say, well, would you like your child to be doing their education on a farm? And the reaction is, is like sheer horror. <laughs> Um, and my husband's like, no one's going to want to do that. And then no one's going to want to pay like $30,000, $40,000 for a Montessori, you know, uh, education either. I mean, it's so private school is so expensive. And what I was thinking was the thing I was imagining, no one could afford. None of my friends could afford. None of my homeschooling friends, they're usually a one-income family. Right. They can't afford a $30,000 education for each of their children. Right, right. Like, who can, who can do that? Um, so I was thinking, well, we need to imagine a way that we can do a, a low-cost environment that's an alternative to a farm where the children are in touch and can play and create with the tools of their generation, which are digital tools, right? They can um, they can do all the performing arts because we didn't also, like the school down the road has a big performing arts centre, which we don't have access to as homeschoolers. So I wanted to have a black box theatre, so we have that. We have a gym. We have uh, we have an industrial kitchen. We have a, a program where the children are learning how to grow the food that is being cooked in the industrial kitchen. So we have an, an entrepreneurial lab. We have all these different spaces for education, um, and the parents are empowered to create the best possible education for their children wow. to bring the best stuff they can find into the center, so that we can all participate and co-create together exactly what our children need to be successful. Um, so I. I I, I want to ask a, a question about uh, the parents at the uh, workspace. Mm -hmm. uh, but before I ask the question, I just want our mm -hmm. listeners to uh, pay attention to something that Kath just said. And that is, so uh, if, if I heard you right, what she basically said was, as a teacher within a school system, you knew that things were not going well for a lot of your children around their learning potential. And even when you were in the system, you felt frustrated by that so much so that you left the system and created, well, what arguably might be uh, thought of as a new system, right? Uh, a new system, not focused on school, but focused on learning. Yes. Well, it you know, any any system that you're designing for the future has to be user, uh, you know, human centered, and and yeah. it has to be designed for humans. And we're organic, beautiful creatures that like to play and create and manifest ideas together and to co-create. And um, and we love learning just in in our natural state. And we, you know, we evolved to learn through stories being passed down. And and all of this has been kind of like beaten out of us in a structure that is really designed. It's really an economic system, right? Like how can you how can you deliver this bit of information that we've decided you needed to know efficiently and effectively? And then how can we test it to make sure that you're doing that? Yeah. Right? It's really there's, got nothing to do with about nurturing an actual human. Yeah, there's no doubt that the, the school system is built around economy of scale, right? Um, all right, so so let's move uh, to the parents uh, at workspace. So. If if I uh, knocked on the door at workspace mm -hmm. as a parent and I mm -hmm. said, you know, Kath, I've got four uh, Van Beck kids uh, mm -hmm. that we'd like to uh, uh, experience, <laughs> yeah, work, experience workspace. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, how does workspace look at me as either a potential parent or a an actual parent? that's going to come into the space with their children? Well, first of all, you know, we have a, we have a belief, or we, well, we know from experience that every family is a system and, you know, every child is part of that family unit. So we have to make sure that anything that we are helping you create is going to really serve the needs of all of your, your, your family because if it's too difficult or it's not going to sort of fit in with your lifestyle and that sort of thing, then it's not going to be sustainable. So we want to find out as much as we can about you and what you want to be doing and why you're there and where are you in your sort of understanding of, of how to nurture, an, you know, a, a child. 
and then what you're looking for for each of your particular children and help you understand how they're wired, what they care about, um, you know, what they're good at and help help you understand your options. So we want to illuminate what is available for you or what is out there for the taking if you just knew it existed yeah. and help you put that together in a way that suits your family and, and the lifestyle that you are you are wanting for your ch- children. You know, what what are your values? How do you want that to look? And that is going to be different for every single family. So there's really actually no shortcuts to, I, I don't think there's any shortcuts, helping these families put these uh, personalised pathways together. But I do think that when you put a bunch of these families together doing it, they can talk to each other and they can help each other and they they deeply support each other and each other's journeys yeah. as they are creating this education. And that becomes a very meaningful exchange. Yeah, so, yeah go ahead, Matt. Yeah, Kath, I'm, I don't know if I share with you that we quasi-homeschooled for another number of years in a hybrid educational model. I guess we did homeschool for a couple of years as well. And the isolation described was dramatic. Um, and so in this new environment going forward, the idea of having an individualized learning plan, but in community, mm-hmm. that seems mm-hmm. to make a ton of sense. A lot of parents we've talked to, they want to do their own thing, but, mm-hmm. but they don't want their kids to lose community. And they individually don't want to be isolated on their own. So what you're describing is just a, a huge opportunity, it seems. Well, yeah, so the community becomes this medium for learning. I mean, the building is great too, but at the end of the day, it's resources yeah. and it's the people that people miss. People right now in COVID, right, we're away from our community. We, we're all meeting online, but that's not as good as in person. We, I mean, we we all need each other really. Um, and actually people really miss the building as well because we're not actually open right now during this time. Yeah. Um, how's How's the online work going? Well, you know, I think it's great for some children and it's really terrible for other children. Like it's a it's a real mixed bag, especially the younger ones. And I, I really do think they miss the in-person. In fact, I recommend to, to families, I, I will always say you have to do what's best for your children, right? So I think what is best right now is for parents to be finding other families that they can be safe with, who they trust, and to make these little learning bubbles for their children and to do classes together in this you know in this period so the children still have that that community even if it's small it doesn't matter it could just be one or two families and you as a parent are also not isolated and you can work work through this together just through this time and then everything will go back yeah so so why why so what you just described i think Mm -hmm. would resonate with any parent so so you you legitimately see parents as partners in this journey. Why doesn't that why doesn't that happen more in public school traditional space? I, I, I can give you about 10 reasons, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna start um with one. Um, it's only 22 first, minute interview. So perfect, if you're perfect. gonna give 10 reasons, talk fast. <laughs> All right. So I see I see families as units. Families are units. We're making strong families to make strong communities. Schools see individual children separate from all the other family members. And separate from the community as well. Separate from the community, exactly. And also there's a huge distrust of parents nationally. Everyone's like, let get the parents out of here. I don't want parents anywhere here. Everyone says that to me. Oh sure. Why do you want to deal with parents? Yeah. And you know, I just feel like the child <laughs> is with the parents most of the time. Right. And, and, and workspace, we are all about creating this culture, this context for learning, right? That this child is marinating in. If they're in your space for a lot of hours, they're marinating in that space. Right. You yes. have to look at that. Do you want your child marinating in a public school space? And maybe you do if it's a great public school, right? Maybe you don't if it's a terrible one, right? But if you are, if you know that your child is being harmed in that space and you let them marinate in, in that space, they're going to be spending their 20s unpacking what you've just done, right? Right. It is better to just to take them out because it's so easy to get the actual academic pieces for free or online right now, right, yeah. than to have them in a harmful. If you can, right, and if you can't because you have work and all these other constraints, you need to get really creative. You need to reach out to other families and make something that works. And that's why, you know, workspace is a powerful space because you've got all these people 
that you can solve for all the things that are going on in your life. Right. So, Kath, I want to ask you then, I mean, one of the I mean, some of what we do when we're talking with families is try to understand the barriers that are preventing Mm -hmm. them from doing the very thing that they know in their hearts that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And so one of those barriers is this question of, well, if I throw out the game plan and pick up a new mm-hmm. game plan and, and start working it with a, you know a, a social bubble and I'm learning mm-hmm. non-traditional things but things that are incredibly important you mentioned entrepreneurship skills um, you know cooking you mentioned uh, gym theater uh, I mean these are I, mean, I know there's a tech space in your in your in your shop as well right mm-hmm. so these are all critical skills that aren't taught in the school. But parents say, well, gosh, if they don't learn the, you know, the tests, if they don't, if they're not able to perform well on the state test or the standardized test, pick your standardized test, then I might be harming my child. How would you answer that, that concern? Well, uh, you know, I think the standardized tests are harming a lot of people because it's, it's making you, it's making you as a parent blind to what your child really needs, right? Because you are trusting society. You're trusting some bureaucrat Mm -hmm. or group of people to say this is what they need. You're trusting the colleges who are controlling this whole testing scenario so they can sort people. I mean, you're putting your child through this game and you're choosing to do it, right? There's a big opportunity cost for that. So that's also harming your child. you know, uh, society is, is telling you that you need to to stay on this conveyor, conveyor belt of these hoops for your child to jump through, but you really don't need to do that anymore. All of our kids are getting into college without doing a lot of these things, right? Sure. And, you know, if you have a child with anxiety, just taking them off that conveyor belt and really listening to that child, right, can change your child's trajectory for the better for life, right? That's right. So right. There's, a, uh, there's an article. I'm getting ready to write that's going to speak to what you just uh, spoke to. And um, that the, the working title is, so who is the public in public schools? Because what you just pointed out, Kath, I think is spot on. Um, over the last 50 years, we've convinced ourselves that state legislatures state boards of education, and school boards, for the most part, is the public in public schools. And I know, because I I grew up in rural Iowa, uh, we had school boards. I guess we had a state board of education, and we had a state legislature. But in Avoca, Iowa, everyone knew who the public was in public schools, and it was the parents of the children, so I'm really I'm I'm really glad that uh, you're you're pointing out uh, that the the shift that we have to I think you know we both agree we have to shift that back. Um, yeah. So um, what's uh, what's next for uh, uh, work uh, workspace? You know, so I you know I think that we've all seen that we really need to be creating these equitable solutions, right? That everyone can participate in. And, uh, you know, when I think about workspace, I I mean, it is a fantastic building, um, but it was expensive and it's expensive to run a a building. And it's it's a lot um, of pressure to put on families to have to pay, you know, to keep a building that size and that awesome open. And during COVID, I discovered that we can actually create a lot of the, the magic of what happens at workspace in the cloud. And if we do it in the cloud, I mean, real estate in the cloud is free. That um, and it's also very very quick to to build. Um, we can very easily invite everybody up into the into the sky and participate in all these activities. And then when and they can actually build their little communities. They can have their storefronts in the cloud. They can gather all their people in their storefront inside the cloud, um, and then they can meet all the other people doing it. Um, and then they can organize space on the ground too when they have enough people who want to organize in a in a little area. So. My excitement about the future is that we can create these global online co-learning communities and connect people across the world so that, you know, our children will know someone in every single country. 
right? Um, they will understand why they want to learn different languages. Yes. Uh, they, they can explore. The world will become their oyster and they will have the people and the connections um, to be able to find whoever they want to to help them, whatever learning community they want to join, like a community of practice. Sorry, Matt. Yes. No, I've just got I, I, what the vision you're casting is one that is is so foreign to everything that we're taught and we've been, been exposed to for 100 years in education. And, you know, you and folks like yourselves, like uh, Andrew Sachs at Nobel Explorers, mm-hmm. who are creating these environments for kids to connect with other kids and mm-hmm. to learn without someone telling them, learn this. At this time, in this way, leave the computer off while you're learning it. I mean, don't work with your partners while you're learning it, right? That is, I guess what I'm trying to communicate here is you're there already. How do we get parents who, when they hear what you're describing, they say, I just can't get my head around it. How do they start? What are the things that they need to begin doing to get want, I want them to think about drive, the idea of drive, right? So we... You know, you can go to the best university and you can be like a bump on, <laughs> bump on a log and not create or do or create, you know, do anything, right? Or you can be sort of hungry and have this drive and you can start with nothing and you can build and create something amazing. Um, for, for me, it's all about how do we get people action or actioning their ideas or manifesting their ideas in some format? Um, and how can you develop that in your children so that they are active engaged participants in the world um, and I think that if you're going to spoon feed them in a system it's unlikely they're going to develop that drive right if you're going to use external rewards like mm. if you do that you're going to get this reward they might work for the reward but are they working for that learning right Bingo. and as the world speeds up and we have to consistently be upskilling the, the most important thing that we're going to have to be able to do is um, is to be a lifelong learner, is to teach ourselves things and to find things that are going to upskill us so we're going to be a valuable person in the world. Uh, and if you, if you continue in this pathway that we've been on with education in this country, we're just not going to have a uh, skilled enough workforce to, to keep, you know, America on top. We need to create systems that create drive. And what is drive, right? It's really people just doing something, right? It's going in a direction. So how do you get people to go in a direction? Right. Right. And it's not it's not by forcing them, right? You need to lure them in. You've got to make them want to do that. So how can we create this mycelium space where they want to actually get off the couch and do something in a direction? And if everyone's doing that, they're going to find their mentors. They're going to start manifesting, and this whole magical process will start happening on its own. Yeah. Um, but we can't keep putting these roadblocks in front of people's learning and making it this hard thing and this boring thing and learning at the wrong time and learning so you're, you're being compared to everybody else and it's just one really one negative experience after another yeah. in hey, environment Kat, stifle you. I've, I've got an idea for a graphic for, for workspace 2.0. And that is right. you need to put the barn in the middle of a bunch of clouds. <laughs> workspace right? in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. The barn's going to the sky. The barn's did already in the sky. Did we mention in the podcast that <laughs> the, the entire workspace is this gigantic, beautiful, uh, when was the barn built? Uh, the barn was built in 1997. So that is the conference center in the front. We've got a you know, big place for the kids to do their TED Talks. And then behind it, we've got a, a, a giant industrial makerspace. It's in yeah. a business park. So Nice. Yeah. I want to quote something, Kath. You just reminded me of this quote uh, mm-hmm. by a French aviator, a, aviator who says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood. Divide the work and get borders that don't do that. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. So what you're talking about is teaching kids to yearn, to build and to create and to learn. And that doesn't happen by just telling them to giving orders and things like that. So that's my quote of the of the of the century here. Kath, we sent you the article from Thomas Friedman from two weeks ago in The New York Times. He talks about this new world of learning and how COVID Mm -hmm. has just blown things up. 
what's your reaction uh, to to that article and his perspectives on um, on the future of work and education? Right. Well, you know, I don't think that COVID necessarily blew it up. I think it just accelerated it because well we were we were on that pathway anyway. Yep. Well said. So we're going into the gig economy. Um, we all know that um, that if we don't upskill as humans, and this is another thing that why workspace is a great place for mothers to continually be upskilling themselves because they are also finding that. I mean, mothers and fathers. I'm sorry, no, fathers. No. Great point. Great point. Um, right. We need to be constantly reinventing ourselves, right, and, and finding that niche. And we don't. We're not. As humans, we're constantly changing and constantly being put in different situations where we have to upskill and have to learn new things. And no one is, um, you know, no one is spared that responsibility, really. I mean, the older generation are having to use Zoom and are having to order their groceries on Peapod and technology and things like that that they probably never thought they would have to. That's right. Um, So, you know, creating places like Workspace whether it's in the cloud or on the ground or or just, you know, in my, in my opinion, the social landscape we have right now in towns is not really serving the community very well. Right? Libraries are full of books, and I love books, right, but books are going to be digitalized in the future. So in a library, they should be these vibrant learning communities, hmm. and they could be just like a workspace. So we really need to be repurposing Right. And really supporting families to create these individualized pathways. And the reason I think parents don't do that now is because they're not really aware of all the amazing stuff that is available for them. Yeah. You know, our biggest challenge at the education game, Kath, is something that uh, you've addressed and you've reinforced. And that is you must have the courage. You must have the drive to move away from a very, very powerful force. And that force right. is called the school building. Well, it's so not just you. a building. There's a patterning. It's society's patterning, right? Yes. They've, it's, a, it's a construct in people's minds, right, that there is this conveyor, basically like a conveyor belt that you have to yeah. get your kid on if you be successful. That is not going to happen. In fact, yes. you're seeing this huge rise in suicide and mental health and all these things going on because there are really very broken things and some of your kids out there will be thriving in it right but there's the vast majority are not vast majority that's right right and we need to create alternatives that are that are low cost right that put the family at the center and empower them to make really good decisions on behalf of their children and if they're not ready yet to give them that support and the help to do that and it's not hard to do Right, and you, we need to give them ways to find their people and great programming that's like like Nobel Explorer, Explorers you're talking about. It's free or under ten dollars per class hour, and you have kids talking in countries all over the world. It's yeah. it's an amazing, amazing, amazing program. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not the only one, right? There's a lot of them. Like the Living in Beta program is amazing on and really helps children self actualize a lot earlier. And we're actually having parents doing that program. Um, at Workspace Sky at the moment. So and lots of different um, things out there that people can do if they start exploring. And we're training um, founders to create their own little cohorts now at 100 Roads, which is our training centre for people wanting to create a workspace-like environment. So um, oh, very- can, can, we have you, can, can we have you back? And, and mm-hmm. the whole next program is just going to be like 30 minutes of what we've talked about the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. And that is, we, we can just go down all types of skills, reading, writing, problem solving, Great character. Idea. And we can just start talking about the outstanding resources that are available, mm-hmm. most of them for free, by the way. Great idea. That, that parents can access, right? And maybe we can just start, you know, building a list, you know, mm-hmm. to send out or at least post on our website because, that's a that's a big challenge for our parents. Definitely, uh, mm-hmm. even those that want to take the step in this direction, they're they're just a little in, unsteady um, about like how to access really good learning for their children. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the very best way to do that, right, is that is to be around other parents doing the same thing. Yes. Right. 
uh, when I first started homeschooling, like I, I found a family who I thought the kids were doing amazing work. They were very engaged, right? Um, and actually, uh, my my daughter, who's at Tufts University right now, her um, her well, one of the first families we homeschooled with. They just the daughter just became um, or last year became the um, valedictorian of Stanford. I mean, not Stanford of Princeton University. Um, she she co-won the Pine Prize. Like there are amazing homeschoolers out there, right? So yeah. these homeschoolers are experienced and they have a lot of information and they're all on Facebook groups and they're all willing to spend hours giving you advice because we're, you know, as homeschoolers, they're fairly isolated. A lot of them are right. fairly isolated. And this is how they, they communicate, by helping yeah. each other, by finding, they find things for their children. They offer things that have worked for them. They'll give you really good feedback. So yeah. I always talk to our parents and I say, you know, you know, I find out who they are, like, as a family, and then I suggest different Facebook groups to join. Mm. And then I get them to ask what they think their ch child, ask for what they think their child might like to do, and then to read and just start absorbing all the information that you're getting from other sort of like-minded parents doing similar things. Um, and, you know, you'd be really surprised. Like, if you ask, if you want a math curriculum and your child is a little ADHD, needs um, a lot of manipulatives or something like that. You could just write that. You can say my child is 10 and this is what's going on and I tried that and it really sucks and he hates card academy and all these things, right, and you're, you're getting really frustrated and the other one loves it so you're not worried about that one but this one is a problem, right, and then you'll get 73 responses saying, oh, my God, that's that was me last year and this is what I did and have you tried Prodigy, Prodigy and we did Right Start Math and, you know, so then all of a sudden you've got a list of, let's say, 10 or 15 things that you can go and explore. Right? You can try a few things. You can see what, what works, what doesn't work. You can say, does anyone want to do a learning group or anyone yeah. want to do an online little learning group with my son or open, can someone help my son? Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> open space technology. Yeah. Open space technology. Yeah. Yeah, crowdsourcing, right? Yes. Right? yes. Right? You're going to get much more advice from people who have just done it, from people who are like, oh, I just did that. I can really help this person. There are yeah, so, so, so Matt and I have talked about this, and, and I think there's a little two-minute video that I'm going to do on, the, on, on this question. But, but yeah. what you're just speaking to, here's the question. So mm -hmm. if we have the world at our, mm -hmm. at our fingertips, why would we allow our kids to learn from one set of teachers inside of a place called a school or a district. That is insane to me. No, right? it's because of babysitting. It's because you can't yeah. afford to live, right, unless you've got your children parked somewhere. Did you did you just call the public school system a, a babysitting enterprise? It's definitely a role. <laughs> right? It's also a food source for a lot of families, right? Mm -hmm. And like, we can't downplay that the state has, and towns have given up the responsibility of taking care of their townspeople to the school yeah. system and that yeah. they're overburdened. And you can't expect schools to innovate either because they, they're not getting paid to innovate, right? They're getting paid to deliver something. Okay, Preach. we're having you back. Preach. We're having you back like every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's so many different places we could dive down into. I mean, the responsibility of the community over schools. Oh, my goodness. So all this right. has been amazing. <clears throat> Thank you, Kath. Thanks for all that you have right. done and continue Thanks. to do. Thanks, Kath. And uh, like Matt said, we're, we're going to definitely have you back. And uh, we want to continue to be thought partners for, for, for sure uh, between workspace okay. and, uh, and the education game. Hey, real quick, tell me what 100 Roads is all about. No, so 100 Roads no. is the training center. So oh, I started okay. the training center. We, we yeah. trained on the ground. And then when COVID happened, I'm like, okay, we need to do the training in the cloud as well. Yes. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, we can start a co-learning community in two months if we train in the sky, whereas yeah. if you're going to make one on the ground, it would take you two years. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got this. I'm thinking get the building and then build your community, right? This Now I'm thinking build your community, community. in the sky and then right. get the ground, right? So 100 Roads is really so, a community. So, yeah, so at the end of these interviews, <clears throat> It's Matt's job to edit down. Um, I would not want to have Matt's job 
because pretty much everything I've heard uh, in the time that we spent together is gold to my ears. And I think it's going to be gold to, uh, to our parents. Yeah. Uh, Kath Ray's, thank you so much. My pleasure. We're, you know, we, we just have to continue this conversation and we have to continue the movement, right? Absolutely. It's so, so important. Thank you so much. love Kath. I love her. Isn't she's, she great? She's helped me with my kids so much in just the, what, month and a half I've known her. Um, yeah. Gosh, yeah. So uh, this isn't the first time I've had a conversation with Kath, but yeah. uh, every time I have a conversation with Kath, uh, you know what I think about? What's that? Servant leadership. Hmm. Uh, here's Here's a gal. She's pretty well set. Yeah. Uh, in terms of her lifestyle. And here she is Killing launching it. something that is really, really transformative for yep. families that uh, get an opportunity to uh, to do it. I, th- I think her idea of expanding into town libraries and uh, is 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 genius. fantastic. Absolutely. Genius. For years, yeah. my wife and I've been talking about, gosh, what's ha- what's what are libraries thinking what are they going to do they're they're you know this old model and and she with that one comment i'm like that's the solution that's it right there. okay I've, I've got the solution for all libraries across the country yeah her name is kath <laughs> phrase that's right that's right it's not crazy it's phrase <laughs> that's right that's what you thought it was crazy and she yeah. lives in connecticut look her up that's right call her yeah, yeah, and and uh, hey, call us. We'll be happy to connect you. Whatever. I mean, she's absolutely uh, her vision. And you know, the thing that really I like about her too, Scott, is that always she keeps saying, you know, I don't want this to be a place for elite wealthy kids to get all the things that every kid wants and needs. I want to try to figure out how do we make this available to all. Which again, she didn't have to play that role. Uh, yeah. there, there's a huge market of of folks who would be willing to pay top dollar for the types of stuff that she's offering. Right. But she, you know, she's yeah. above that. So that good for her. All right. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Let's go ahead and do our two minute drill for the last two minutes of our show today, Scott, the two minute drill. I'm going to give you a couple questions and I want you to give okay. me your answer and I want you to expound as much as you'd like. First question, new administration coming in office. Who's going to be the secretary of education that Biden is going to appoint? Tell me who that's going to be, Scott. Doesn't matter. What? It doesn't matter. What do you mean? Doesn't matter. It's Secretary of Education for the United States. The only way that it would matter is if the Secretary of Education that uh, uh, President Biden appoints uh, believes in pulling some of the funding away from public schools and public districts and putting it in the hands of parents, so that they can plan and pay for their own children's learning. Ooh, that ain't happening. That's not going to happen. Matt. Nope. That ain't happening. I, I love Joe Biden. I voted for Joe Biden. That's, yeah, that's not, not happening happen. on his watch. Nope. Nope. So too, many, too many interests tied in there. All right. Well, maybe it's not a federal thing. So you may have heard Houston Independent School District. There's a, there have been under a threat of being taken over by the state for, gosh, a year plus now. Uh, it's still out there. It's I keep hearing rumors that it's still going to happen. So is that going to substantially help kids if the district is taken over or if it's not taken over? What do you think? It doesn't matter. Once again. In, anyone who's part of the uh, uh, the self-directed learner, lifelong learner, independent learning movement that that's really serious about the movement, doesn't, doesn't matter who runs HISD. Yeah. You know, unless... Uh, whoever comes in and runs is able to give support to parents, uh, whether they be individual families or learning pod families. Right. And some of that existing public money comes to support those individual families or those learning pod families. Right. Then it makes a difference. Think about an institution that is more ill-prepared to take care of ch- children's learning than the Houston Independent School District. And I can only think of one answer. You know what it is? 
what the, the what? state of Texas. <laughs> yeah. The key point, Scott, is the institutions have established structures to, that protect the institution at all costs. Even if kids aren't learning, even if for decades kids uh, aren't learning, and even if families want to do something different, the structure is such that uh, that there is no power that can undo the institution uh, of education in the United States, except parents who are going to try to do it themselves. And that's where we come in, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. parents need to be careful of how they spend their time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can have it both ways, parents. I don't think you can send your kid to school and then wring your hands every night that the school is not creating a self-directed learner or a lifelong learner or an independent learner inside of your child. Yeah, it's not built They're, for that. They, school districts, schools are not built that way, Matt. That's right. That's, That's not right. what they do. So our job, Scott, and this will, let's go ahead and close it up here. Our job is to help parents make that bridge from dependence on a school that doesn't prepare the kids for the future to a structure, and it depends on the, the circumstance of the file, of the family, but the structure that allows that child to become the independent learner that they're going to need to step into this future that is going to be extraordinarily challenging to a young person who has not figured out how, that they can learn anything they need to learn at any time, uh, uh, in any way they, they need to learn it, right? So that, yeah. that's... And, it's gonna, and everyone needs to understand it's going to be a long, heavy haul. Yeah, yeah. But, that's right. you know, you and I didn't start this because it was going to be easy. We've done, yeah. we've done easy things in the past. Right. Look at easy. Uh, easy doesn't interest us. Well, right? uh, impact interests me. And you too. Yeah. All right. We're, we're yeah. done preaching. Let's go ahead and close okay. it up. Hey, y'all. Thank All you right. for joining us. Uh, we want to remind you that the education game is brought to you by uh, our friends on Patreon, as well as Community Health Choice as sponsors. Um, we're produced, at least the audio version of our work. And the podcast is produced by Pottery Studios. A guy named Bo York does great work. You can go to theeducationgame.com to get more information about what we're up to. We've got a great webinar coming up this weekend. We continue to do multiple webinars. And we've got a course that we're building out that is really designed to help parents move on that continuum from dependence on school to uh, really focusing on, on learners. So our guest this week, again, was Kath Phrase with 100 Roads and Workspace Education. Workspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Look her up. She's amazing. I'm Matt Barnes. This is Dr. Scott Van Beck, and we are The Education Game. Thanks for joining us this week. We look forward to seeing you again soon.